Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? It's tingling under my pumpkin bomb boxers which are (laughs) very clear and exposed right now wow we (laughs) to listen to the show find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts this podcast is brought to you by revenge lover designs illustration and design that fit your personality for samples and inquiries visit revengelover.com we're talking about more spider-man unlimited my favorite weird spider-man show (laughs) yeah 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 so if you've been following us this is the one that everybody hates but we like (laughs) i promise we're we're not just trying to be like contrarian or whatever about it this isn't just like a hot take thing i feel like we've enjoyed it like legitimately yeah we're still enjoying it yeah and and i think you know if you've listened to our first two episodes covering the first two episodes of spider-man unlimited and you're like wow these guys are really just gonna say they love everything i assure you we've now watched two more episodes and that's not going to continue to be the case i can already tell there are going to be things that we don't like i can speak for myself but i think (laughs) i can speak for both of us on that because there's some stuff that isn't done quite as well in the next two episodes that we watched, I think, as the first two episodes that we watched, which makes sense. It was a pilot. Uh, yeah, not even close. And yes. <laughs> yeah, there's still stuff to like. Oh, yep. I still think it's probably better than anyone watching this is giving it credit for. I think it's but, better uh, than it is worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I think we at least get, but but I think we get what they're doing yeah. pretty well at this point. Not in like a we're so great, we get it kind of way, but I think it's hard. <laughs> you guys just don't get Spider-Man <laughs> Unlimited. Um, well, I mean, kind of. more notes. <laughs> kind of. No, I think I think there is a part of it where, you know, we, we've talked about it like at length. Yeah. But the fact that there's a lot of surface stuff that I get why people don't like it and that's fine. But I think that we went into it either already kind of liking some of the stuff that's on the surface anyway, just because it's yeah. sort of our brand and our and the thing that we're into. But also because of what we do, we dig so deeply into the stuff that like we have to get below the surface. And there is a lot of stuff below the surface here, even even like in this episode, which has a lot of problems. I think <laughs> there's still there's still a lot of stuff that I like in it. That's that's I think is sort of bubbling. It's it's still is like a smartly written show. Yeah. In that there are clearly like deep thinkers involved in writing it, even if the episodes that they're creating aren't always strong, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, probably this week and next week are, are decent examples of, of some of that stuff, at least. So, yeah. This week, we are talking about the third episode of Spider-Man Unlimited or Spider-Man Unlimited, episode three, one might say, and it's called Where Evil Nests. And the synopsis per IMDb for this one is 
literally the whole episode. <laughs> uh, it's very funny going like beat by beat when they've summed up everything that happens in like three sentences. Yeah. But hey, our, what's what's the point of even our we're know, just going to be done. We don't have yeah. time to do the podcast. This will be our first uh, 12 minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> so the synopsis for this one, uh, again, from IMDb is as follows. Spider-Man meets the counter earth version of the Green Goblin, a hero who mistakes Spider-Man for a villain. Spider-Man realizes the kidnapper of Dr. Naoko Yamada Jones isn't the Goblin. The two team up to save her and stop a plan by her kidnappers responsible for the green biomass, venom, and carnage. Nothing vague about that description. Everything you need to know about who does what and how they feel is right there. (laughs) These IMDb descriptions are going to be real fun for this show, I can already tell. Wow. All right. (laughs) It's funny, too, because, like, I take my notes uh, without having read the synopses. So it's funny. There's things that like now everyone who might not have watched the episode knows about this episode that won't get sort of like mentioned or explicitly named until like half an hour from now. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> ah, thanks, IMDb. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the original air date for this episode was October 16th, 1999. This was the last episode that aired oh, in its original right. run <laughs> before it was pulled, canceled, and off the air for like a year or so. That's oh sad. Yeah. What a weird episode to leave off of, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Now, before I get to the story by credit, it's a wealthy well, web snappers tradition that we just pronounce names wrong all the time. I don't think we were that far off. I so the story by credit to this episode is to the the story editor of the series and like co-creator Will, who I called Will Mu Know before. I thought that that was the pronunciation. It's <laughs> a lot of letters. Not remembering slash realizing that there is a character on this show that is named after him explicitly, explicitly named after him, spelled exactly the same way, and it is pronounced Minio, right? Mr. Minio, is that what he says? Yes. I would argue that that's probably a especially Americanized pronunciation of what is probably Minio. So I don't think that we were that far off. Okay. We just added kind of an extra syllable to it. And maybe the emphasis. Minio. 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 Also, the fun fact, the captions on Disney Plus absolutely spell it wrong. They butcher it badly. But make it easier for us to know how to pronounce the name, Minio. which is Minio. Yeah. <laughs> Minio. So, sorry, Mr. Minio, I guess. It's going to be even weirder if we find out later, like, oh, no, they just pronounced his, his name differently on the show just because they felt like it or something like that. And, and I don't know. That's why I feel like I'm just going to, like, really stand my ground on the middle here and say Minio. Minio. <laughs> I feel like, I like no Minio. matter what, I'm saying pretty... it very close to correctly. <laughs> it's a pretty pronunciation. Will Minio. Yeah, yeah Will I like Minio. that. I, you know what? If you don't pronounce it like that, Mr. Minio, then you should because it's better. Yeah. So there we go. Let us tell you how to say your own damn name. <laughs> <laughs> story by Will Minio, um, who uh, he's a story editor. Like we said, we talked about him on our episode 40, the first episode we did for Spider-Man Unlimited. The teleplay was by um, a writer who's now credited as Bryn Stevens. At the time, she was still credited by her older pen name, Bryn Chandler-Reeves, along with Steve Perry. We've actually talked about Bryn Stevens before. I think we first talked about her on episode on our episode five, which was on 
the alien costume episodes of the oh, animated baby. series. I think she's already written a few of the episodes from the 90s show. So she's done a bunch of stuff. This is our first time meeting Steve Perry, though, but he has also written on, on some pretty prominent series. He's uh, written on The Real Ghostbusters, Batman the Animated Series, Street Fighter the Animated Series again, and Godzilla the Animated Series again. I think uh, this is, you know, this is uh, podcast production talk, but I feel like Street Fighter the Animated Series uh, has skyrocketed its way into the upper <laughs> echelons of potential commentaries. Yeah, I would say so. Because hot damn is it coming up a lot. Yeah, I'm very curious about it now. I have I like don't care about Street Fighter at all, but well, I'm I care about, about Zangief. Well, no, I mean and obviously Honda like, and Blanca. <laughs> I care about Zangief, but that's like he doesn't have to be part of Street Fighter for me to care about Zangief. He could just like exist on his own. Fair point. And I care about Chun Li going back to being a young single girl. Okay. After she defeated whatever the main bad guy is, or whatever the goal of the game is, I don't know. I just want to <laughs> I dig M Bison's energy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Sure. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and uh have you ever seen i haven't actually seen this i've just seen some clips of it but i know the chun Li legend of chun Li movie that has Kristen crook in it from smallville and i've seen some clips from it and they like adr the whole movie for some reason and that makes it very weird and bad to watch uh Uh, i absolutely have not i'm i'm mad this is a total tangent i'm mad that there hasn't been like a genuine and i'm sure people will come for me on this there's definitely a contingent but I'm like mad that there hasn't been a legitimately good Street Fighter movie. <laughs> I don't see yeah. why there couldn't be. Yeah, it seems pretty like a kind of a straight. Like I feel like it'd be it's more it would be more likely to have a good Street Fighter movie than like a Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah, because there's less weird stuff in Street Fighter. Like there's yeah. kind of weird stuff, but not really. Yeah, was Zangief in the John Claude Van Damme one? Mm, let's find out. This is really important information. This is I think very important. Uh, let's see. We're searching. Zan Geef uh, movie. Well, yeah, movie actor is what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, yes, he was. Um, and oh, it's he fine. looks pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm cool with that. That works. Yeah. That it's, works. Uh, it's, it's appropriate for the era and for the character. They even try to give him like... The Zangief chest hair style too. So like I appreciate that. Actually, like yeah, the sort it's of not, strangely combed uh, shape. <laughs> yeah, it's not like perfect, but it makes sense. I get what yeah. they're going. They tried, and I appreciate that. Could have so done cool. so much worse. They could have done yeah. much, much, much worse. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's been our Street Fighter segment of the Spider-Man Unlimited uh, episode three recap. All things you all really wanted to hear. Uh, (laughs) So this episode features more heavily, I should say, two characters uh, that were introduced in previous episodes. So like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, this show has a tendency to like it kind of has like a weird way of ending its episodes where you think it's over and then there's like four more minutes and they kind of launch into something that will happen later. And I don't hate it. I think it's interesting. It's weird, but it's interesting. And the characters of Dr. Naoko Yamada-Jones and Shane Yamada-Jones were kind of introduced in this way. In the end of the second episode, they're introduced as characters that are obviously going to be more important later. Now they're more important, so we're going to talk about them. Yep. So Dr. Naoko Yamada-Jones is portrayed by 
Akiko Morrison, or as she's credited at the time, Akiko Ann Morrison. She was a series regular on a handful of cartoons over the course of the few years that contained this series. So sort of like 1998 to 2001 or so. Sure. Uh, One of them obviously was Spider-Man Unlimited, which we're talking about. Uh, Alienators, Evolution Continues. I remember that. Yep. And get ready to be totally shocked. Uh, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century and RoboCop Alpha Commando, which was her Uh. longest TV role. (laughs) Oh, man. Yep. As always. I tried not to insert it into every credit, but she's like in 40 episodes of it, which I think is all the episodes. So I think you have to. Like, I don't think. I think if you see RoboCop on a credits list we have to add it now at this point like you can't overlook that it's just like our curse yeah until like 15 percent of this podcast is robocop yeah we'll have slowly turned into a robocop (laughs) podcast without us even realizing it eventually indeed uh she also appeared in singular episodes of a bunch of tv shows throughout the 90s and pretty sparingly since i think her last credit was probably like 2014 2015 or so And I don't know the significance of this character or if they're significant at all. I just know you. And uh, she portrayed a character named Mrs. Kwan in the Veronica Mars movie. Have you seen the Veronica Mars movie yet? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. It's because it was between the original run and then the new season. So I had to. Okay. Um, I don't remember who that was in the movie, though. Uh, So I don't know if she was anybody important. (laughs) Probably not. Shane Yamada Jones, who is Naoko's son, is portrayed by a guy named Reese Huber, who I think was pretty much just a child actor. Uh, Doesn't have a ton of credits to begin with, no credits after 2004. The credit that stood out to me, aside from this one, is that he voices Lee Shaoran in Cardcaptor, the very heavily hacked up Nelvana slash Kids WB adaptation of Cardcaptor Sakura, which should be a fantastic show. And wasn't super god awful as a show when you're a child and don't necessarily know better mm-hmm. but oh my gosh it's like four kids one piece level hacking of a show gotcha like just episodes missing like things out of order stuff that just like doesn't make sense when you really think about it huh. <laughs> it's a show where the main character like collects these cards that give her certain powers and there are episodes just missing. So sometimes she just like has a new card and you're like, I don't really know how she got that, but sure. <laughs> uh, I've never heard of yeah. this. It's a, uh, it's a really bad adaptation. And luckily they've, they, you know, it's been made available in a, in much better form since, but cool. uh, funny that he comes up as, as somebody from that. Cause I haven't thought about that show in a while. Interesting. Oh, and there's a green goblin in this episode uh, <laughs> who's portrayed by the same guy who voices Spider-Man. What a weird choice. And funny because they interact so much. They do. Like, I wonder if he wanted wanted to do it. Like, I wonder if that was if if like Reno Romano was like, can I do that? Uh, hey, I have a I have a I have what I think is a really cool, funny Hispanic accent that I do, even though I'm assuming since his name is Reno Romano, he's like an Italian guy. But uh, oh, so. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope I hope he's, you know, uh, it might be problematic, but it might be. <laughs> I hope that it is appropriate casting. I hope that it came to be because he was like, hey, I would be appropriate casting, but you just, it's 1999. I I don't know. We're not quite there yet. (laughs) I will say that the, the, because the accent that he does doesn't feel like it's like trying to be like a stereotype one or an over the top one or anything. Like it actually sounds like a pretty natural one. Yeah. 
I'm I'm I really don't have a good ear for like determining like different subsets of of, of languages and accents. Mm-hmm. So, but it sounds to me like he's trying to do a very specific one rather than just like a general <laughs> accent. You know, I mean, um, before I knew who he was, I was trying to figure out who it was because it sounded familiar. So I think there's yeah. something to be said about that. But I also I'm not. I'm not a Spanish speaker. I, you know, I'm not especially qualified to say if it's genuine, but it felt familiar. So, yeah, at least to like dumb English American ears, it didn't sound like it was (laughs) a bad accent. Like it didn't sound fake. So good job. Hopefully this wasn't uh, a a yikesy casting, but he does a good job, um, uh, you know, separate from that. I feel like, yeah, Uh, I I didn't, I didn't really pick up on him on it being him until I saw the credit, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't pick up on it being him, but there is one part where I was confused as to who was speaking, but I think that's more just like a weird editing thing and less of a voice acting thing because it's two very distinct voices he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose uh, we should get into it because we don't really have anything else behind the scenes to to dig into. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So the recap that we get for this episode reminds us that Spider-Man escaped the High Evolutionary, that the High Evolutionary's forces infiltrated the Human Rebellion's base, that John Jameson refused Spider-Man's plea to return to Earth proper? earth i don't know what marvel calls this earth that we live on i just assume earth prime earth prime works that's but i don't know if that's what they use but that's what i usually use for stuff like that works for me we don't really ever talk about it again uh or at least for a (laughs) while so for now uh he's not going back to earth prime and that i think this is probably a bit more important for this episode uh that peter saved shane from one of the machine men at the very end of the second episode yeah, I like that the first line that you hear at the beginning of this episode from the recap is Spider-Man saying, name's not guinea pig, man, it's Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Very important instrumental line. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice that line until the recap. As many times as I watched it, like that episode, I didn't even <laughs> didn't even register. It's not a very good line and not one that justifies being in the recap first off. But all right. (laughs) It's like that's the only time he says, I'm Spider-Man. Are you sure? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the episode itself opens in what we now know, I think. Uh, I don't think it's been referred to this until this point. Yeah. As the basement, which is the physically lower portions of the city but also the lower end lower socioeconomic parts the sort of literal slums of the city which we also now know is just called new york Mm -hmm. it opens there where what looks like a group of tentacles it's hard to see because they're in the shadows drag Mm -hmm. a man into the sewers i love this guy's look by the way is like some guy with like a green mohawk but then he has these sort of almost like floral looking sideburns. <laughs> yeah. Which is very, very funny. This is what the future looks like, kids. Uh, the future <laughs> looks like the 80s, but punk. Cool. Cool with me. I'm down with it. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we learn that more than two weeks has passed um, since the last episode, which is What have you been doing, Peter? Like, literally, <laughs> what what have you been doing with your life for two weeks? I don't know, uh, especially because the reason, like, the way that we learn two weeks has passed is that Naoko is telling him, hey, you haven't paid rent yet, which means he clearly hasn't been spending the past two weeks trying to find a job. 
Yeah. Or he hits, he gets the idea to like take photos of himself as Spider-Man again, like he did back on, on Earth Prime. But like, took you two weeks to get that idea? Like you didn't even try? I don't. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like I, it, the, the impetus seems to be that he sees the ad for like newspapers wanting photos of Spider-Man, which like valid for him to bring it up then. But why didn't he like try? Like why doesn't he already have pictures of Spider-Man that he's been trying to sell in the first place? I don't. Because right, <laughs> nobody knows who or what Spider-Man is yet. So it's like the perfect thing to try to sell. Although I guess you need public consciousness for it to matter. But still, you'd think he would be on top of it and would just sort of like have him ready to go. <laughs> yeah, Peter, get your shit together, man. Yeah. I don't know. We have no idea why two weeks has passed, what's happened in those two weeks. I don't think it's necessary for two weeks to have passed other than to introduce this tension of now Peter Parker needing to pay rent. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So he needs to pay rent. Like you mentioned, he has an issue of what uh, is called the Daily Bite soliciting photos of spider-man and he says he'll earn the money because he's a photographer naoko this is what i do i like i do i do appreciate that she like kind of call like she's she kind of calls out the fact that it's just like that's not a reliable job you idiot like Mm -hmm. it's like because peter peter even admits to like you know i used to do this for a living kind of like you can't (laughs) make your whole you can't make enough money from doing that dude you know that and everybody knows that i feel like she is like a a landlord who gave somebody a chance and then like immediately regrets not holding tenants to the standard of like you need to prove you're employed before uh-huh. I say yes. <laughs> yep. Because she says, yep. like, you need a steady job. Like, you, can't, that's not enough, dude. <laughs> like, I yeah. know I wouldn't have been approved for my apartment if I was like, oh, I'm a freelance photographer. <laughs> yeah. Not a chance. Why doesn't he just, well, no, never mind. I was going to ask, why doesn't he just, like, live with, like, the revolutionary people? But he wants to, like, live as Peter Parker. So that makes sense. And he doesn't, yeah. doesn't want to give them his secret identity. But, yeah, it's weird. Uh, yep. Come on, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this sets off an argument between the two, and Shane ends up walking in on this argument and pretty immediately becomes upset, starts crying. And then Oof. we learn that this is because Naoko and Shane's father used to argue. So Shane ends up running away from the room and I guess runs away from the clinic. Like, just runs out of the house. <laughs> Literally runs out. Kid's on a hair trigger, man. But, uh... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm surprised. Like, Naoko's obviously concerned, but I feel like isn't nearly as concerned as I would be if my child just, like, ran out of the house into the basement. I guess the basement is where they've always lived, so no big deal. But still. Yeah, it's like, still the middle of the night. Kiddo. Like, yeah, it's a little bit. Well, no, and I guess she does have the, the – she does mention in a second that she has, like, the tracker or whatever. True. So, like, I guess it's – I mean, I guess it's it makes a little bit of sense, but it is still like, does he do this all the time or something? I mean, yeah, she's very weirdly chill about it. I do get the sense that this is a much more communal living type of atmosphere because so many people are living together in spaces they might not own. They're sort of in a survival state multiple times. This is probably only next week, but I think we saw it a little bit last week as well kids just sort of like playing in the streets like explicitly in the streets of this sort of like slummy place so they they do a good job of like making this the normal of the characters so Mm -hmm. i guess in a sense it shouldn't feel any different than shane running out on like a cookie cutter house into a you know pleasantville neighborhood if that's just what their normal is that makes sense actually 
Yeah, yeah. The context for what Counter Earth is is definitely different. Yeah, it's a little. It's uh, it's strange to get used to, but uh, I guess, I guess that's probably the best way I could should think about it. To be quite honest. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. So he runs out, uh, and Peter is like, "Well, I'll go find him." Like I, you know, I feel bad. And Naoko's like, "No, it's fine. I'll I'll do it. I've got this tracker. It'll it'll be no big deal." Mm-hmm. I want to get your thoughts on something she says though. Because she's still upset with Peter for, like, not paying rent and not having a job at this point and basically being a freeloader. And then her son runs out and she's, like, a little bit exasperated. And she says this thing where she says the wolf isn't just at the door. He's already cleaned out the pantry. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of anything else that that means other than you've overstayed your welcome. But it seems like a really harsh thing to say. I didn't think it was th- – I thought she meant regarding, like, the entire situation of, like, money running out by basically having to, like, take care of a whole other person. Just, like, generally? <laughs> generally? Like, like she is probably running into, like, affording to stay okay. at her house. So he's I mean, not the wolf. Du- like, financial burden and, like, and and like crushing debt probably is the, is the wolf. That's how I took it. Yeah, because okay. I mean, I, I imagine... like that better because it's really mean otherwise. <laughs> right, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense outside of that. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, because I, I imagine she's probably, he probably is helping himself to her food and stuff too, you know? Like, it's, he doesn't, what else can he do? It doesn't have any money. Yeah. And, and, that prob- and that would make a lot of sense for why she's kind of pressing him so hard. Just, you know, like, I, I think that that makes the most sense. It's probably... He's just a contributing factor. He's not the sole factor. Yeah, because remember, the, I think in the second episode when they they didn't mention that they already were looking for a tenant anyway. Yeah. So she probably was going to rent out that room because they needed the money in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I know that makes that makes sense. Uh, still, still, uh, maybe, I mean, maybe I just thought about it too much, but it's still, uh, whew. I mean, I know well, he, he deserves yeah. it. He's not... He's not paid rent and hasn't gotten a job to pay rent. Uh, so good for her for really, like, putting her foot down. But damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's like, the thing about boy. the show, I think, is that it's never really, like, fun and comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, another thing that I think uh, I, I understand why it would kind of steer some people away because it isn't a very comforting show. Um, it is always, like, everybody's kind of on the perpetual cliff's edge of, mm-hmm. of like, just, you know, starving and dying or being like abducted and killed like yeah. it's not a it's not a fun happy world to be living in mm-hmm. but uh, i appreciate that they commit to that so yeah. hard yeah no i like it i uh i mean obviously i don't like the circumstances but i like the world they've created and like you said committed to Hmm. Hmm. so when she does go out with her tracker to find shane um she's walking the streets of the basement she gets like right close to where he is, so he he ends up witnessing what happens next, which is that a mysterious green ooze, that one that we saw at the beginning from the shadows, seems to be kind of following her from beneath her in the sewer. Um, once she nearly finds Shane, and she like turns away from his hiding place, uh, so like I said, he witnesses this, which is the ooze emerging from the sewer, grabbing her and taking her underground in a sequence that takes a very long time, and therefore we get to hear Naoko's actor doing a lot of grunts and yells, and it is actually pretty horrifying. Uh, yes. On top of the voice acting, just the fact that the sequence takes so long, and the sort of, like, effort that they animate into her trying not to get pulled into the sewer 
I think this scene is incredibly effective in being horrifying. It is. <laughs> Ugh, it is. Her it's nails get dragged across the pavement. I and I hate, gr- I hate oh. it. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she's struggling so hard and they really go very hard on that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. literally clawing at the ground to try to Ugh. get away. It's uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> she's got no nails left. Uh, yeah. Or like flesh on the tips of her fingers. <laughs> uh huh. Yikes! Uh-huh. Yikes! Luckily, she's yeah. got like miracle medicine, as we saw, you know, at the end of the first <laughs> or second episode. <laughs> oh, your hands! You have like third degree burns. Here's some bandages. Everything's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. Terrifying oh, sequence, but I I was really impressed. I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, her her that that actor has to do so much yelling and grunting throughout mm-hmm. this entire episode too yeah. i kind of feel bad for her. like she actually like i feel like her actual words and lines that she has compared to just going like oh no oh like it's yeah. uh the ratio is very high <laughs> <laughs> i was surprised that her voice actor didn't do more given her prominence in this series and how yeah. well i think she does she's really good she yeah. has a really like it's a really natural performance that mm-hmm. she puts on that even amongst just this show, I think stands out a lot. But yeah, I mean, and she gives a lot of real life to the character. Like she sounds very distinct yeah. too. Yeah, I just, I really, I really like her and you're kind of endeared to her character immediately. I agree. So like you said, Shane witnesses this abduction and he runs to find help. He runs literally into Peter and explains only because he's terrified that green thing got her. The green thing took her. It was the green thing. And then we cut to our <laughs> opening theme. Yay. <laughs> Which is uh, wild because I feel like a lot happens before this opening theme hits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the way the show is structured. It's, it's structured in a way I would not have expected given that it was on the heels of the 90s show, which is not structured poorly at all. It's just structured more traditionally, I think. Yeah. And differently. Uh, and is and it's a lot more fast paced, too. Yeah. Uh, this one definitely is a little more slow moving a lot of the time, some of the times, mm-hmm. and gives things a lot more time to breathe. And it's definitely, I think this show is a lot more um, kind of dependent on its aesthetic and just sort of like living in the world a bit. Yeah. 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 Which it can do because it's a different world, you know? Exactly. Which Exactly. And it definitely lends to like the pacing being interesting because yeah i feel like this episode in particular is kind of front-loaded with a lot of stuff yeah and then that gives it a lot of time to just kind of exist for the back like the back half of it less happens but there's still like action sequences and stuff but like all of your plot is at the front and then and then you kind of have like the the rest of the episode is an action sequence and then it almost kind of a breather at the the very last act of it Mm -hmm. yeah it 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 feels like it plays with pacing uh sometimes to its own detriment but i appreciate that it does doesn't make the sort of fumbles less fumbly. Yeah. Because it, I, I think this is one of the things that we're going to realize is one of the downfalls of this series, if it continues, is that its pacing is sometimes yes. clumsy. Yes. I don't think it's simply because they're bad at pacing. I think it's because they're trying to do something different in the way they pace the show, and they just don't always land where I think they think they're trying to land. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You get, you definitely get that big time in this one. I think, yeah. uh, pacing wise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, doesn't work, but I, I can see what they were trying to do, even if it doesn't really land. Yep. So after our opening theme, we see that Peter has brought Shane home. 
he suits up to find Naoko, and while he's searching, his spider sense activates for the first time that we've seen, I think, right? Um, No, it activated in the first episode, like, with the very beginning. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, this, I think, is it is it a different animation in the Unlimited suit? Um, in the first episode, no, I don't think, I mean, they're both like flashing lights the okay. way they do it. Huh. Um, but the first episode, it's like red and blue flashing lights and a little bit of yellow. And I feel like in the unlimited suit, I don't think it's red and blue, right? Isn't it just kind of like white and yellow kind of flashing? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know why it didn't stand out to me in the, in the like premiere episode, but it really stood out to me in this episode. Yeah. I think in the premiere one, cause it's one of the first things that happens and you're probably taking in literally everything else yeah. about the show. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And it's in a familiar suit. So it's just sort of like oh it's a spider sense Mm -hmm. but yeah so his spider sense activates and he ends up meeting counter earth's version of green goblin uh, as a pumpkin bomb flies towards his head (laughs) (laughs) he turns around sees this character that he immediately recognizes as goblin and is like ah what are you doing here it's interesting to me because i'm I'm curious of like what Earth Prime's Green Goblin looks like because, you know, this guy doesn't really look anything like the Goblin, but he immediately recognizes him. And I don't know if that's just because of the pumpkin bomb thrown by a green guy or if it's supposed to be because he does actually look kind of like this version of Spider-Man's Earth Prime Goblin. Yeah. Because it's it's a strange as I love it. I actually really like oh, me this too. Green Goblin a lot. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, it's it's. I like him as a character, and I think his design is really weird and cool. Yeah, in a way that literally only fits into this show. It would not fit in anywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I am obsessed with this goblin's design. It's it's weird. It's wacky. It's over designed, but like you said, in a way that only the show and this atmosphere and this style could really pull off. And it's just it's it's weird. It's so weird and kind of dorky, and I love it. Yeah, his big toothy grin that he always has. Like, it's such a strange choice. Uh-huh. Um, and the fact that, like, you can't really tell if it's an actual suit or if he is just, like, a green guy that looks like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no idea. No idea. Because later on, as you alluded to, we'll see this this character in his boxer shorts. Yep. And his legs are not any sort of flesh color I recognize. <laughs> nope, it's green. He even has bare feet. With uh-huh. his toe, you see his toes and everything is all green. So. Yep. So yeah. TBD on that, I guess. But uh, yes. but yeah, I think the design's very cool. I think we already mentioned that the performance is is good and fun. I, I overall pretty quickly gravitated toward this goblin, and I wasn't sure that I would, but I like it. Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, and he's such a wildly different take from a traditional green goblin. Like not just being a hero, but like kind of embracing the whimsical kind of fun that green goblin can be. It's obviously it's always like twisted to be darker stuff because he's a villain, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like. Well, if he's a good guy, he's still going to be like whimsical and silly and and weird and jokey, but uh, it's going to be like a nice kind. Like he's like a nice kind of fun clown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why I liked him is because he's sort of clownish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's very fun. clownish. So as we've alluded to, this goblin is apparently a good guy. Uh, he actually says outright um, really before anything even happens that he's protecting the neighborhood from criminals like Spider-Man and the symbiote. And that's why he's attacking Spider-Man. Spider-Man, of course, his experience with Green Goblins being mostly bad, uh, he doesn't believe him and, in fact, thinks that because Goblin is dressed mostly in green, that he must have been the one to take Naoko. And he asks him point blank uh, while they're kind of sort of semi-fighting each other um, if he took Naoko or what he did with Naoko. And Goblin's like, I'm the protector of the neighborhood. I wouldn't have done anything to Naoko, which is kind of our first hint that he 
might know who she is. It's pretty clear at the end of the episode what's going on. Mm-hmm. But um, but he isn't just like, I don't know who that is. He's just like, I wouldn't do anything to Naoko. Yeah. So it's kind of cool the way that they kind of see the hints because it's like it's very obvious by the end, like what's kind of up with him. But it does take a while to kind of ramp up before you're kind of like, oh, is that what's going on? Or like, okay, I guess that's probably definitely what's yeah, going they, on. Yeah, they plant a seed and water it like yeah, over the course yeah. of the episode. It's nice. Yeah, it is. It is good. I think that that little like sort of mini mystery is well handled. It's not really treated as a mystery. It's very much just like you're kind of steadily realizing it because Spider-Man never really catches on to this at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Uh-huh. He also asserts that Spider-Man must be connected to the symbiotes because, I mean, it's <laughs> makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, there are similarities in their color scheme, their powers, their spider motifs and everything. Uh, he even says, like, right, so you're not related to Venom and Carnage. You're a completely unrelated superpower guy in a spider suit, yeah. which is so clever. Because yeah. even if Spider-Man, like, knew that he was a good guy and was trying to sit down and explain it to him, it would be weird to be like, well... So you see, Venom got his powers from me because I wore him first. Uh, yeah. Not realizing he was evil, and then I took him off, and he was resentful and bonded it, and, it, and it bonded itself to another guy, but still carried over my powers for some reason and carried over my spider motif because I guess it was kind of still in love with me, and then it spawned another guy who sort of has similar powers and carried over those powers. Like it doesn't, it would just be like, okay, well, clearly you're insane. So right, you know what Goblin would hear <laughs> out of all that explanation. So you and Venom fucked and worked together. <laughs> And you're not connected. You're not part of the same. I don't know. Not, not a chance. Spider guy. <laughs> At best, it was just a bad breakup is all you're telling me, which means you still yeah. probably aren't to be trusted. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one thing yeah. I really dig about Goblin being a good guy, and, and it is confirmed, I think, in this episode over and over that Goblin is a good guy. But I think even like pretty early on, you realize he's not just saying that. One thing I think is fun about that is that we know that part of what the show was initially intended to be was this exploration of Peter Parker and him becoming Spider-Man and what all went into that, right? What Mm -hmm. external factors, what life events, what emotional sort of journey you've gone through has made you Spider-Man and what would happen if that journey were different? Well, the same thing kind of applies, I suppose, to Goblin. I don't think we're dealing with a Norman Osborn here, but mm-hmm. you can kind of see, even if it was always meant to be a not Norman Osborn, you can kind of see how willing they were to play with this idea that villains could be heroes under different circumstances, heroes could be villains under different circumstances. It has a lot to do with the environment and the things that happen to you. It's not just you know, this innate thing inside of you, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it and a lot could go wrong. There's a lot at stake. And I think this sort of like plays into that, even though we know that's not the direction the show fully went into. So it's not really going to play out that way. Um, But there's still some of it. They're still able to play with the concept, even though they couldn't do it with Peter Parker. Yeah. Still doing it with all the characters around him is still kind of getting at the same sort of idea. Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, they're, I, and I, I don't know if they made the choice to make this a not Norman Osborn or if they weren't allowed to do it, you know, for the same reason they could with Peter. I suspect they weren't allowed to. I'm surprised they were even allowed to call someone Goblin. Technically, yeah. I don't think they never call him Green Goblin in this either, do they? Um, I don't remember if they do, actually. They might I only call him Goblin. Didn't track it well enough, but I think they only call him Goblin. 
Oh, interesting. Which is a generic term for a number of types of characters in the Spider-Man canon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, like, across all materials and credits, he's Green Goblin, I guess. But, like, yeah, yeah. they probably could have, they probably were able to skirt around it by doing that. Interesting. Yep, yep, yep. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I dig that they're playing with that stuff. I expect we'll get more of it. And I think it's in, it's just, it's intertwined into the DNA of the show, this idea that good and evil aren't as clear cut as we think they are. I know you were talking about just even among the Knights of Wondergore, the idea yeah. that some of them are more evil than others. Some of them might be on the side we're not rooting for, but seem otherwise to be like good guys you know so mm-hmm. it's interesting the show the show is doing some cool stuff with that i hope it i hope it pays off in in good ways i hope so too or at the very least they kind of keep doing it for yep. a while yeah yeah so goblin ends up gassing spider-man using this i i think it's a pretty cool like remote control bat thing which is pretty mm-hmm. on brand i think especially for a more techy looking goblin but even just for a goblin in general they they use tech plenty and Spidey ends up passing out on a nearby rooftop. I don't really know what prompts Goblin to want to unmask Spider-Man, other than that's just a thing everybody wants to do. <laughs> but he tries to do that, and Spider-Man reveals, surprise, I was never gassed that whole time. It was a fake out because my suit is new and different and has the ability to filter out gas, which is an explanation that is unnecessary because this Goblin has no idea who you are. Why? Okay, <laughs> Why did you pretend to be passed out? Why were you playing possum? Like, what benefit did that, did that give you? I mean, the results-oriented way of thinking of it is, like, Green Goblin lets his guard down and Spidey webs him up. But there's nothing to say that that couldn't have happened anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, it didn't seem like Goblin was really, like, overpowering him that much in the first place. So, yeah. weird strategy. <laughs> I think he just wanted to, like, show off to somebody. Like, my osmotic, or whatever you call it, like, osmotic gas filter on my mask. Like, I just, who else can he tell, I guess, about these yeah. cool new tech implements in his That's costume? True. He's got to find some excuse. He's, like, seeking out foes simply so he can brag about his new suit. Like, guys, I right. can't tell anybody. I can't tell Naoko or Shane. So I, I need to monologue to a villain. <laughs> Do something cool to me, and then you're going to see my whole defense system pop up, and then I can tell you that I have it. Exactly. So can you just try it? Just like you got a flamethrower, right? Flame me. Look, I've got some cool like fire barrier on. Isn't that cool? No one else has that, do they? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and then Firestar comes in and is like, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Spider-Man asks again where Naoko is and Goblin's still like, I don't, I didn't take her. Dude, come on. I just told you. Um, However, I do now vow to find her. Before they could really do anything beyond that, though, that's when half a dozen machine men arrive and call both of them masked vigilantes. Which confirms for both of them or should confirm for both of them. Oh, yeah. They are both good guys. Didn't think about that. Yeah. If the machine men who are programmed to recognize enemies, which would be good guys, at least Mm -hmm. in the way that we're viewing things, and both of them are put in the same category, they should both realize they're on the same side. (laughs) Yeah. And and I appreciate in this case, like, I think it says a lot about Goblin as a character that you know, normally it's the hero who's the one who is like, let's put aside our differences and work together in the scenario. Spider-Man doesn't do that. It's Goblin who's like, okay, I say we should stop fighting each other. 
and fight them instead. And Spider-Man's like, I guess so. I don't trust you, but I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> like, Goblin's kind of more heroic right now. <laughs> yeah, I think Goblin picks up on what happened. I mean, granted, he he's more familiar and well-versed in the world, so he's primed to pick up on what the machine men said. Mm-hmm. But I'm I I believe <laughs> that he recognized the masked vigilante's comment and was like, "Oh, okay, so Spider-Man's all right." Yeah, even if Spider-Man doesn't. <laughs> in in defense of Spider-Man, uh, which is a weird thing to say, like in defense of Spider-Man, I fe- I guess the idea that he does have such a long history with his world's Green Goblin, who we have no idea what the timeline of of his life has been with Green Goblin, so True. maybe. It, this is a, a Peter who's Green Goblin killed Gwen Stacy or something like that. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it could be a case where like this is he's dealt with a Green Goblin who has like fucked him up really badly. Um, I mean, even if that didn't happen, it's not like Green Goblin hasn't been existed in his life for a long time, probably. Um, so I think just having that context and like knowledge of who Green Goblin is and like resentment towards Green Goblin just for being a villain that he's fought a bunch of times versus Counter Earth Goblin who is literally just going by aesthetics. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you look like bad guys. Yeah. I just think, oh, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> like, it makes sense that he's probably going to be quicker on the turnaround yeah. than Spider-Man would be. No, I, it, for sure. For sure. No, it makes it makes sense. Yeah. Just giving credit to Green Goblin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is frustrating for when Peter's going to Peter, though. And, I, yeah, Green Goblin's the, the, better, the better dude in this scenario. <laughs> yes, yes. So we get this brief cut to Shane, who's at the clinic where he's supposed to be, but he's deciding to search for Naoko, which oh means God, he's going to leave the child. place he's supposed dumb, to be. Dumb, stupid child. Yes. Dumb, and his, stupid child. His rationale. <laughs> <laughs> I like Shane, though. I mean, he he's, he's makes a bad choice, but I, I also get the sense that he's like, seven <laughs> like i mean yeah he's and 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 yeah he is he's very he's he's i like that he is like a proactive kid and he's actually like seems to be kind of def- defensive about his mom in a way like protective about his mom um in a way that i appreciate yeah but it's still frustrating it, though because <laughs> it's like just stay where you're supposed to be yeah. kid you've already run out once <laughs> they don't they don't really explain it until a little later with a throwaway line but like the fact that he didn't give peter his tracer or the the tracker of his mom. Like he says later, he's like, I forgot to give it to Peter. And it's just like, yeah, well, he mentions in this moment too, like I have a tracker and Peter doesn't have a tracker. So I need to go out and find her. Like, yeah. So he at least recognizes the tools. I mean, I don't know how quickly Peter was just sort of like, stay here. Bye. That's true. Cause it's also, yeah, right. He might not have a chance. And if Shane was kind of traumatized by what happened, that's why he said the green thing rather than like yeah. the green tentacled slimy thing. Like he clearly was <laughs> like freaked out and couldn't even yeah. think straight. So I guess it does make sense why he forgot to tell Peter. And if, and it should have been Peter's responsibility cause he knew that the tracker situation existed. So he should have asked him for it. And if he just kind of zoomed out without asking, that's a little bit more on Peter than it is on Shane and maybe neither of them had an opportunity. So Still actually a terrible and frustrating decision though. It's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating, but it's not like a flaw in the writing or anything. Like yeah. it actually, it makes sense from like a character standpoint, but it is just like, Oh my God, you dumb, stupid kid. Don't leave the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it, I think it informs the type of character that Shane probably will be, which is like, Oh my God, dumb, stupid kid. But I think it's, I think that's who he is meant to be. Right. This kid that's like, braver than he is capable which you know we see all the time but i think that's kind of the the character mold shane seems to be in yeah the kind of kid where it's like i could see like a flash forward like 
10 or 15 years from now and he's like a superhero himself or, or, or like leader yeah, of revolution himself some or sort something. of vigilante like, yeah yeah like they're definitely kind of seem to be seeding that in him that he wants to he, he wants to be part of the action basically so down in the sewer we get another brief cut where naoko manages to squirm free of the green blob and tries to run but she ends up running into a rhino bestial not rhino, but a rhino bestial, mm-hmm. which is basically the almost the same thing as as rhino, but just with like an actual <laughs> yeah. rhino face. Yeah, and less like naked feeling than rhino normally. True, too. true. Uh, <laughs> much worse skin, I'll say, than rhino tends to have. True. But this rhino bestial restrains her and just ends up continuing to take her further into the sewer anyway, which really yeah. sucks. She like manages to get away and just runs immediately into a guy who's like, nah, we're still going to go in there. Thanks. <laughs> I know. I know. Fuck. Yeah. 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 And it is, I should say, this. They all, the, the bestials that we see have the same kind of like synoptic tentacle things on their chest to show that they've been yeah, taken, that weird taken over. Yellow growth thing and the vacant eyes. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, like, it's the same thing from from the second episode where they've been sort of taken over by the parasite spore things or whatever. I I appreciate that there's, like, audible, like, reverb when she's in this tunnel. Like, when she's yelling and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, it sounds like it's kind of echoing like she's in the tunnel, which I don't feel like cartoons often do very often. Like, I don't think they necessarily will kind of edit the, uh, like, the vocal quality for spaces that they're in. Yeah. Um, so the fact that like they make it very clear that she's in a very echoey tunnel, like it's kind of an unnecessary thing. Like I wouldn't have noticed it if it wasn't there. So the fact that they added that detail is really cool. Yeah, it's a good attention, a good attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I think this show does that at times. I don't know that they're always super detail oriented, but like there are interesting yeah. details that they do pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So huh. it's interesting, like how those decisions would be made to be like, this is the thing we're going to really, really pay attention to. Right, right. Because that can't be the only time that they're in like tunnels and stuff. And so it's sort of funny that they pick this one time to do it. But it's cool that they did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not mad at it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So back above ground, we see Goblin recognizing, like we said, that he's kind of misjudged Spidey. But Spidey still doesn't really want to believe it. He's still being stubborn. And he says the jury is still out on Goblin, which is rude AF, dude. (laughs) Literally, he's saying this as they're fighting together against the common enemy. Like, come on, Spider-Man. But during their clash, Spidey creates a large shield for the two to hide behind. And while they're hiding, they do see Shane kind of behind them, wandering around the streets looking for Naoko, completely oblivious to, like, the laser Mm -hmm. explosion sounds that are, like, 20 feet from him. But sure. Yep. He's looking at his little tracer tracker thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's he's just sucked into his little mission. Yep, yep. Well, Goblin ends up, like, choosing to leave the cover of this massive shield in a way that makes you sort of think like, oh, like he's particularly interested in the Shane kid, mm-hmm. but he's stopped before he can do anything by Spidey who sort of claims like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to end up, he specifically says, flash fried if Goblin isn't careful. And Goblin perks up at that term, flash fried, and sort of has like a revelation mm-hmm. and ends up blinding the machine men with his own flash grenade. I think he says, I fried their optic nerve or like their optic whatever something or others but he blinds the robots that's that's what it means yeah. sure <laughs> um but as a result the machine men end up sort of like firing wildly at the walls of the nearby buildings because they're just sort of like in an alley which 
causes the walls and I guess at least some portion of the buildings themselves to like crumble and collapse, which by the way is going to be a continuing thing in the show. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just like carelessness on the part of like writing the environment around them or if it's just really like, eh, we live in a slum and shit falls down all the time, oh, God, whatever. Yeah. I mean, we'll see next week. Like they don't have a ton of regard for the environment around them. So I could believe that it's like a conscious choice to just be like, yeah, shit falls down all the time, but it does seem pretty reckless. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Right. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, especially like the time we're living in now, where I feel like for the last like kind of decade or so, we've always been kind of hyper aware of like what rampant dis- destruction in like superhero stuff, especially is. Oh God. Yeah. You know, um, like that's, that's been such a conversation and it really wasn't a conversation back then. This was 1999. So, but even with that said, I, I guess, like, if, if you're looking at it less as being a superhero cartoon anyway and more being kind of, like, a post-apocalyptic, like, sci-fi war cartoon, mm-hmm. like, any of those, like, future war or, like, dystopian battle movies, like, they don't care about <laughs> the buildings around them. Because, right. yeah, like you said, like, it's all a slum and everybody hates their life anyway. Like, everybody's just like, yeah, just burn it all down and start over. It's yeah, fine. screw this like, wall. Who cares? This building <laughs> nobody, sucks. Nobody has anything to lose at this point. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah, like, the wanton destruction, like, hits different with this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, like, weird. Like, my reaction to it initially is still the same, where I'm like, did you just knock down a whole wall? But then, mm-hmm. yeah, you consider the environment, and you're like, I guess, like, if you put this, if you just put this in a... Like you said, post-apocalyptic environment. Like it seems less weird, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, like, it's not sure. post-apocalyptic per se, I guess, but it's definitely like dystopian. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, in a yeah. very particular way, you know. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, Spidey and Goblin are able to get away after this blinding happens. But uh, while this was happening, Shane actually made his way into the sewer. So quite a uh, <laughs> quite a brave child. <laughs> Good job, Chad. I think, like, maybe there was a machine man that he was, like, also escaping from. But, like, I don't know, like, jumping yeah. into a dumpster or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, again... Weird world. I guess these like a latchkey kid in on counter <laughs> earth New York is probably like used to just like running for robots and hiding in sewers uh-huh. and going in strange places. Yeah, brave as hell. You're right. Everybody's like dirty and, and, and like disheveled at all times anyway, so like might as well just climb into the damn sewer. That's true. <laughs> I guess if, if if like avoiding these machine men is a regular daily part of your life. I guess it's like really not that big a deal to be like, oh, no, let me jump into the sewer real quick to avoid this thing. (laughs) It can't follow me down here. It's such a weird context to think of things in because like nothing on this podcast we've talked about has has been like this. But it's such a different world. And again, I don't want to I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I feel like these things keep popping up. It's like another thing that I think it's it's hard for people to get past when they're watching it if you're expecting a superhero show. And it is just going to feel like weird when you see these people doing these types of things and living in these situations. Mm -hmm. And it is just like, did that kid just climb in the sewer because like a robot was chasing him and he's looking for his mom that was abducted by like a blob monster in the sewer? I mean, I have the same initial reaction. I just, because we're talking about it in the way that we do, I I think again about every one of the reactions I have, right? So, and and sometimes I don't. Like, we're figuring some of it out as we're podcasting. (laughs) Like, yeah, it, it does feel sort of weird and absurd at first. And I was talking about, you know, how do you turn off this show after the first episode when it's obviously sort of a cliffhanger or a two parter? But I guess when you're not really thinking about it and you're just trying to sit there and watch a show with a character that's supposed to be familiar to you, yeah, I mean, you might you might not think about it twice. You might just be like, this is, this is weird. 
and yep. n- and not what I not what I came here for. So I I, mm-hmm. I get it. Just uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Goblin hurries to follow Shane into the sewer, and Spider Man comments that he cares just as much about finding Naoko and Shane as Goblin does. Goblin responds, however, somehow I doubt that. Kind of a clear indication that there is some kind of personal connection to the two, Mm -hmm. which again clarifies itself pretty clearly as the episode goes along, or at least we're led to believe a certain thing. But this is kind of probably the biggest hint thus far that we've gotten. Yes. Yeah. I think it's the first sort of like real indication like, oh, like if you missed the first sort of hint, I think Mm -hmm. it's hard to miss this one. Yeah. Yeah. Shortly after they follow Shane into the sewer, they start sort of like searching through the tunnels and stuff. And Spider-Man's spider sense activates once again. And the green blob appears in what I think is like the most comical and also stupid, awful scene of this whole show. <laughs> Which is like the, the green blob. I, I think it's funny, but it's, it's, it's not good. The green blob sort of in its huge, massive state crawls up behind them and Goblin is just standing there, and the green blob is inches away from him, just sort of like lingering there. <laughs> Goblin, no idea, doesn't in, doesn't think anything of it. And Spider Man has to be like, "Uh, Goblin," and Goblin turns around <laughs> and is like, "What?" <laughs> like, it's yeah. so goofy. And of course, like the blob doesn't attack until they know it's there. Yep, it's very goofy. It's almost. Very goofy. Uh, it's got like almost a uh, like old Hanna Barbera vibe to it, where you're like, yep. "What are you doing right now?" Goblin makes like a really like silly joke, like <laughs> it's the, the calls it. He's like the booger, is, booger is right behind me, and uh-huh. Spider Man's like, "I think you mean bogey," and Goblin's like, "No, I don't think I did." Like, oh, <laughs> cute. Uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yep. A pro for Goblin, I I like that he has the potential to be kind of like the meta commentary guy because when Spider Man says like my spider sense is tingling, which nobody ever like responds to ever because it's usually internal monologue. Yeah, he clearly says it audibly this time, and Goblin is just like your what is doing what? Yeah, yep. <laughs> it literally just sounds like nonsense to any person who doesn't know what it is. Yeah, no, I I I, I all these reasons for why I love Goblin in this yeah. series. He's he's goofy as hell, but he's also endearing he is the audience responding to spider-man it's amazing it's so it's good. it's it's the right injection of comedy that a show like this needs because mm-hmm. it is a kind of a really dour show um because it's not like a, it's not really slapstick um like obviously it's a character that seems to be kind of haunted in a way yeah um so there's a little bit of darkness to him but like He's he 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 makes quips that are a little sillier than Spider-Man's are. He takes his pants off and stuff. He says the word booger like yeah. it's it's the right sort of like counter to <laughs> counter like counter earth. It's yeah. the right kind of counter to like the dreariness of everything going on that, you know, we really didn't get any of in the first couple episodes. Yeah. Like this isn't a funny show and it shouldn't be probably. You're right though. Like they do make clear indications that he has a dark past to him. He just as much as he makes silly quips he will say things that you reflect on like, oh shit, like that's deeper than the half Mm -hmm. second you spent saying it. Like there's a point at which Spider-Man says, who died and made you hero of this city? And Goblin says, far too many. And you're like, oh damn, dude. Okay, all right, I see you. And you breeze right past it. (laughs) Yeah, he's like like the sad comedian. Like Mm -hmm. the whole, yeah, like comedian that, um, 
that yeah. like brings like like processes like <laughs> trauma and like like terrible life things and like depression yep. and channels it into like humor. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what he is. He's a depressed clown. <laughs> He's a depressed Not clown. Not a sad that's clown. Exactly. A depressed clown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. He's all of us on Twitter using gallows humor uh, to get through quarantine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Goblin is one of us. <laughs> He's also a great guy because he grabs Spidey and attempts to fly them both away from the blob. Like, no uh, hesitation. It's just like, all right, dude, let's go. This is what He's needs such to happen. A sweetie. I, I know. Love him. I know. I love He's him. great. I wouldn't be mad if he had his own show, honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a very pro counter goblin podcast, I think. I think so, too. Yes. So while they're flying away, they start, like, discussing the blob a little bit. Spider-Man's like, what is that thing? I love that Goblin is like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't hang out in the sewers, dude. How am I supposed to know this if you don't know this? But, I mean, they don't know each other, so it's, it's like, perfect opportunity for, like, questions and weird responses. I love it. Yeah, Take full advantage. Um, but as they're having this discussion, the blob manages to grab onto Goblin's leg, which stops him immediately in flight. And the momentum from this launches Spidey into a nearby tunnel. Very funny animation. That it does. They yep. could have spent maybe a little bit more time on that moment. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of There's flings definitely out. <laughs> times like that in the show where it's just like, <laughs> could have slowed down for like just a second. It would have been a little better. Yeah. yeah. It has some real, real 80s vibes going on where he's just sort uh-huh. of like flings out and you almost imagine them like literally just like turning the character model over and over on itself. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so deep beneath the city i believe that's what the actual like comic caption says Mm -hmm. we see bestials and humans alike with the glazed over eyes possessed by the same yellow parasitic masks that we were just talking about earlier so they're in some sort of like holy lair like literally like full of holes like um like well the thing that would cause like trypophobia in people mm-hmm. um just like a, almost kind of like a like a beehive kind of thing but just like literally like circular holes it's gross the possessed dudes are kind of uh, attaching like these yellow bug type things like kind of hard to tell like they're like insects or arachnids i can't really tell either because they kind of look like spider like spiky ticks that you might see but it's hard to tell they're bug things yeah. um, yellow bug things that are creepy and they're trying to like att- or they are attaching these things to other humans um and bestials to similarly possess them so like they're different from the spores that carnage and venom had in the last episode but they're doing exactly the same thing for ba- yeah. like basically making them part of this hive mind i think this actually it doesn't bother me all that much but it bothers me a little bit so i could see this being a complaint people have about this show mm-hmm. there are certain things that happen in the show like this that get kind of an explanation but they don't necessarily yeah. get a super satisfying explanation and i yeah. think sometimes the balance is right like in the first episode where they do the news report or the press conference that's like the perfect balance of like, there's another earth. We were all surprised it existed. We're going to go check it out. And you're like, okay, sure. Why not? Right. Mm-hmm. They don't explain a lot in that circumstance, but it's easy to accept. It's also a much simpler concept than whatever's going on here. And they don't explain this very well at all. I don't think, I mean, we get yeah. exposition very shortly for pieces of what's going on. Yeah. But it's but... hard to even really explain sometimes like, are they possessed? Are these parasites? Are they symbiotes? Are they... Right. Like, what 
like what language do we even use? What capacity do these people and bestials have? It's a little difficult to grasp onto sometimes. And I think of all the things so far, some of that I think is what's most frustrating to me about this show. Yeah. It's it's not enough for me not to enjoy what's going on because when you're watching it, you kind of like get the vibe, but it does make it difficult to communicate. It does make it a little difficult to think about beyond just watching. And I hope that there's less of it than what we get to this point, which is like pretty 50-50 hit or miss. Yeah, I think my I think my issue with it is is and it's it's one of those things that it's hard to kind of really like quantify or anything or really even like kind of how to make it work. But like mm-hmm. there's a difference between this and like some earlier mysteries because you as an audience have to know what you don't know or are supposed to know and are supposed to not know. And I think what's unclear in this scenario with all of the uh, parasite slash symbiote stuff is like, I don't know if I'm misunderstanding or if it is supposed to be a mystery. Yeah. Are there supposed to be holes in the story that they're telling? Or is it just a contradiction because you weren't thinking through what you were writing and then created a plot hole? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's intentional or not. Which is very different from a lot of the other mysteries of this show. Like, the whole goblin mystery thing. Like, I know like I know what I, that I'm supposed to not really understand what his story is. Or I'm not supposed to know for sure what his relationship to, like, Naoko and Shane is. But I can – and I can make assumptions based on evidence because the evidence has been clearly brought to me. But, like, I know that there are things that I don't know about it and I recognize it's part of the mystery. I have no idea if I'm misunderstanding this or not. I don't know if the parasite things in the flashback – are the same race as the symbiotes, but why are Venom and Carnage different? Are they like a different species of the same thing from the same planet? Are Venom and Carnage themselves symbiotes that are just happened to be possessed by these parasites? Because the way symbiosis works for Venom and Carnage does not seem to be the same way these parasites are attaching themselves to people. So like, it's all very confusing. Yes. And I, I don't know if, if, if I, what I'm supposed to know or not, you know, based yeah. on the information they're giving me. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I think it's in the same category of when we talk about a show communicating to us how we are supposed to feel about something. I think it's the same category, right? Like the show needs to communicate to us what we are and are not supposed to know in that moment, mm-hmm. whether something is supposed to be unknown or not. The show yeah. is not nailing that in the way that it could a show typically does a good job telling you like this character is doing something bad and you as an audience are supposed to not like that they are doing it. It's mm-hmm. the same idea. It, it is hard to quantify. It is hard to pin down, but I think it's, that's the best sort of comparison I can make to another sort of difficult to define quality. Yeah. I guess it's sort of like, like, okay, if a show tells you to like imagine a two wheel tricycle, it's like, I know like if and I'm watching it and I'm like, well, I know as an audience member that that's like a bicycle. Right. But if the show is presenting that information saying like, no, this is a two wheeled tricycle. Like, am I supposed to know that that's wrong that you're saying it? Or am I supposed to like figure out that like, am I supposed to know yeah. that that's an incorrect thing that I'm supposed to be like, OK, well, that shows that you're like lying to me or that you're wrong about it. And like you're trying to like to like screw with me. Or is it just because they got it wrong and didn't realize that a two wheel tricycle yeah. would do a bicycle? No, I like, think that's, it's hard to tell where like what, what they know or don't know. No, that's a perfect example, because that's how a lot of humor works. Right. If somebody says, imagine a two wheel tricycle, the show tells you whether or not that is funny based on whether or not that character knows the absurdity of the thing they're saying. 
Exactly. So it, that's, I mean, that's a perfect example um, and probably something that's even more relatable because humor is, I think, something people can typically point to and say that worked or didn't work. Yeah. The how we're supposed to feel about characters is a little bit murkier, but people can, I think, point to it. This is probably the murkiest, but you can still point to it when it works. And right now it's not working. Yeah, yeah. They do try, though, because they do get into a bunch of exposition. I just don't think the exposition fulfills the questions that we have. Right, right. Well, let's 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 dig into that exposition a little bit. Yeah. So basically, the this, this the rhino bestial that had Naoko brings her presents her to Venom and Carnage, um, who were like they built their own little thrones inside of the lair. Okay, guys, yeah. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> but Look, um, they're queens together of this beautiful weird parasite <laughs> lair. They need thrones, okay? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess if I had the opportunity to, to create and sit on a throne and no one would be mad about it, then I guess that I would. But still, <laughs> calm down, guys. Well, and Venom knows who she is. Like, I think he says her full name. He's like, Naoko Yamada Jones, we've well, been waiting for you or whatever. I don't know where that came from. This is interesting in these first three episodes because there are some indications. And I think the Goblin relationship relied on this ever so slightly there are some indications that dr naoko yamada jones is somebody that people know like she has some sort of reputation probably because she's a medical doctor who works not above the basement but among and inside the basement right so Mm -hmm. i imagine many people seek her out but it's it's not super clear yet and hopefully will be clear at some point just how well-known she is to people. It's also Mm -hmm. a little bit, I think, understated how deep Venom and Carnage have gotten their claws into things over the, what, six months or so? That's true. That they've been on Counter-Earth before Spider-Man got there. I forgot about that. Yeah, they didn't get there the same time as Spider-Man. You're right. right. So they're going to have a lot, a, a bigger knowledge set than than like we as viewers do. Yes. We haven't been there. It's the reason Goblin is able to basically say like he's able to call them the symbiotes and able to be familiar enough with them to identify Spider-Man as also a problem. Yeah. And and there's the added wrinkle that Venom and Carnage knew about the Synoptic and were going to counter Earth to like join with the Synoptic like in the first episode. Like they knew about this stuff before literally anybody did yeah. for some reason. Oh, that's and a question. And we don't really know how. <laughs> and that's a bigger question. I'm very nervous that that is never going to get answered. <laughs> Probably Really, not. really, really nervous. Because <laughs> they are seeding so many mysteries in, in all of these episodes, which yeah. is cool. I really like the ambition with that. But knowing that this only lasts 13 episodes and gets axed, like, it's yeah. cool that they had a plan. But I really wonder what, if anything really gets resolved yeah. in, in the scope of the show or not, um, which will be a real bummer. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> But yeah, so they they know who Naoko is, basically, is what what we're getting at. And that that comes with a lot of questions that will maybe be answered and maybe will not. But ultimately, they're familiar with who she is. They call her a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. I'll give I'll give the writers the benefit of the doubt that they were kind of forward thinking because they because they've been seeding so much stuff that I feel like they know it's up. They've earned that from us. Yeah, yeah. So Naoko mentions that that she has like she's familiar with the chambers and thought that they were destroyed, which is where they are right now. Mm-hmm. We've never seen or heard of them before, so it's kind of a weird like throwaway thing that's very interesting. And I'm curious if they were going to like ever dig into any kind of backstory with that, or if they do in the show. Carnage replies, "That's what we wanted people to think," and states that the synoptic is alive and thriving. Mm-hmm. 
This is where we get the heavy exposition that isn't quite heavy enough, uh, but is still heavy because Carnage basically does the like history lesson of the synoptic. So he explains that they are attempting to create a planet ruled by symbiotes, which, by the way, is something they're doing outside of the site as they understand it of the high evolutionary. This is not something connected to anything they're doing for the high evolutionary. He would hate it actually. So they're doing their own thing. He gives us all this exposition about whatever these yellow things are and the synoptic. So word for word, he says the destiny of this world and all who dwell upon it was sealed countless millennia ago. When our kind first arrived, we were the dominant life form of this planet. That's when we see all these yellow insect thingies arriving on Earth and they begin to attach to the dinosaurs. So this is sort of point of clarification and also confusion at the same time, Uh number one, because Carnage does refer to these yellow things and himself and Venom as we. So we are Mm -hmm. to believe that there is some connection there. So uh, he then says, for millions of years, all lived in the harmony of the group mind. Our peace was shattered by the cataclysm which is an asteroid colliding with Counter-Earth. So they had a similar cataclysmic event, but when their cataclysmic event happened that killed the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs were all part of the group mind, which is something that happened as a result of the yellow insect things arriving. Mm -hmm. He then goes on to say, This drove our kind from the surface, where the individual joined the all, we get a gross, gross sequence of all the yellow insect things falling into a deep subterranean chasm and melting together <laughs> to become the green blob. And all lay dormant for untold centuries, waiting patiently for us, Venom and Carnage, its liberators to arrive on counter Earth. So yeah. it, it's, it's weird because it gives us information, but it doesn't really clarify all that much. It clarifies what the insects themselves are, but it does not at all clarify Venom and Carnage's relationship, yes. relationship to it. That's what the big question is because the context that we have is it, for Venom and Carnage is that they're very different outside of like kind of being able to like – take over someone's body but even that doesn't really make sense because our understanding of them has always been that it like bonds with you it's symbiosis rather than like total like parasitic or possession or whatever so it's 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 yeah and i mean and just aesthetically other than like the green blob thing i guess like that's the only aesthetic connection that that the two have too the one thing that is really allowing me to reserve judgment like full-blown judgment on this because i think I would not hold it against anybody to watch this and be like, what the fuck are they talking about? And just sort of like <laughs> write it off. I, I could see it. I, I I wouldn't hold it against people. But the thing that's that's allowing me to reserve judgment is that you and I have already discussed having gotten sort of a vibe that all is not as it appears on Counter Earth. Yeah. And I have no reason to believe that Venom and Carnage could not be prone to that same thing right Mm -hmm. so if all is not as it appears with the high evolutionary if all is not as it appears with the societal upper class that is the bestials if all is not as it appears perhaps with the revolutionaries if all is not as it appears with the synoptic it's entirely possible that venom and carnage are used by the synoptic as opposed to being a part of the synoptic I don't know if that ends up being clarified, but I can easily buy that being the case. We're just not told that. 
it makes the most sense, like for sure. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, I think that that would kind of explain everything if they're they were like, yeah, if if, if they've been like convinced or take or taken over themselves or just yeah or or something like that like if they're being swayed by the synoptic and, yeah. and they're not actually part of their species they just have to be a little bit similar because i think i always i still point to the fact that spider-man in the first episode very pointedly was like that's weird you've got new powers what the hell is the synoptic where did all this come from like the right. fact that he was asking those questions of why things are weird and what are they talking about I think really makes me think that there is still more to it and that we're that we are supposed to believe that there is more to it, even if it's not super clear in this particular episode. In yeah. the grand scheme of things, I think that we've been instructed to ask questions. Yeah, I think knowing that there is a grand scheme makes me give the creators of the show the benefit of the doubt. But yeah. also like it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you just saw a show run for five seasons and do some pretty ambitious things. There's really no reason to believe that you weren't also going to create a series with multiple seasons. But because nothing is guaranteed, it's like, how much can you hold against them the fact that they might have been doing too much? And if they were under the impression, as anybody is, that their show is going to run for more than one season, should you hold it against them at all? You know, like, that's the thing I'm struggling with, where it's like, you're seeding so much and you're creating such an intricate story, I think, because we are giving them the benefit of the doubt. Sure. That it's like, I, I do think it's retroactive to say that they did too much. I think it's unfair to say, like, you're doing too much. But, uh, gosh, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard because nothing's guaranteed and you need to get your claws in in the first place. But they probably figured their claws were already in because Spider-Man, the 90s animated series, already existed. Like, I don't don't know how you balance that. I don't know how you decide, like, how guaranteed your product is based on another product that's technically a different product but also kind of the same product. Like, that's that's such a hard position to be put in. Well, because you, you don't just have that. You also have X-Men ran for a long time. Yeah. Every Spider-Man series preceding the 90s show, even if it didn't run for a long time, was at least successful enough for it to run like for a significant amount of time. Yeah. This is the first show really in the Spider-Man world yeah. where the show was canceled so quickly. And then it starts a run of like multiple shows being canceled quickly. Like the next mm. three are all canceled prematurely. But this is really the first one. Yeah. Where like it didn't get past like it didn't get past episode thirteen or well not counting the, I guess the live action show but obviously that's kind of a different scenario cartoons specifically right. it's the it's the first time where it couldn't get past it didn't get past thirteen episodes and was kind of like axed kind of honestly unfairly because it was doing well in the ratings regardless yeah. so like they I think that they had every reason to believe that they were kind of a guaranteed success at least for two seasons just because it's Spider Man as a character right you know yeah and I can already hear people being like they shouldn't have believed this would work no they had every reason to believe this would work are you kidding there's no reason to believe this wouldn't work and it like you said was supported by ratings so uh uh i i I appreciate the ambition though i just wish that they had tightened up some of the screws of like leading up to the bigger picture that they're building Mm -hmm. assuming that they you know assuming that they don't drop some like serious truth on us a few episodes from now where everything sort of like begins to make sense and we have that sort of end of the saw movie moment where all like we get the montage of like oh that's where everything led mm-hmm. i'm not expecting that but <laughs> yeah i don't know we'll better see. so who knows yeah yeah i'm not i'm not expecting to get that but uh but it would be cool if we got dot it in some capacity I mean, yep, just got yep. something something guaranteed yep. who knows yeah I, and i all of that said I, I don't hate what they're doing i just 
one of the things that's frustrating about it is I like the direction they're going and I want to know more. You know what I mean? That's yeah. where my disappointment comes from. My disappointment yeah. does not come from not being interested. I guarantee you that. Yeah. If this is a show we were watching week to week, I don't think we would feel as like um, yep. sad about or like as, as cynical about it. We wouldn't be as cynical about it because because we would have the expectation that like it would just keep going and, right. and we would just kind of expect it. But knowing the the route oh. that uh that this took and how long it actually <laughs> lasted and everything yeah um, exactly. puts a puts kind of a dark cloud on everything yep <laughs> but hey what a swing what a swing to uh, uh, quite a swing <laughs> to have uh, this weird synoptic sort of sort of build its roots into counter Earth at the yeah. dinosaur period of this planet's yeah. history very like, ambitious holy shit that changes everything about the world that is built because basically there's this ticking time bomb in the center of the earth or just below the surface uh that's yeah. been there the whole time you know like ima- yeah. imagine if that were our earth or earth prime like there's nothing to say that that isn't actually happening on earth prime too you know uh-huh so uh-huh. it's a really weird thing to think about yeah, and even if if you do take take everything they're saying at face value, and that Venom and Carnage are like uh, attached oh, to it, yep. like then that means that that they're basically like creating an entire the entire like history of what the symbiotes are, which like mm-hmm. I don't think the comics even really did until like a couple of years ago. Really, like the Clintar stuff is very new. So like, if that is what's actually going on, that's really ambitious to be like. Mm, we're just going to like completely explain the symbiotes on our show and yeah. make them sort of be derived from counter earth all along. <laughs> like, Ooh, dang. Okay. Dang. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I don't think that's what's going on. Cause that right. seems a little too big yeah. of a swing. But... Yeah. That's a huge swing. <laughs> <laughs> Still. Anyway, fascinating stuff to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what a weird show. <laughs> so weird. Oh, so weird. <laughs> Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole and Katie. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards, in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable, high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. In these sewer tunnels, uh, Spider-Man does eventually land from being, like, 
thrown away, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and happens to, to land and stumble right on where Shane is. Um, he tells Shane that Peter sent him to find Naoko and that uh, Peter said Shane was supposed to stay home. Shane's like, yeah, but I got a tracker, man. I forgot to give it to Peter, but now I got it. So I got to be the hero. <laughs> and uh, so the two set off together to find Naoko, which is kind of cool that he doesn't just tell Shane to leave. He's just like, well, I'm not gonna be able to change your mind. So I guess we're just going together. Yeah. He, I think he has a moment where he's like, I probably should tell you to go home, but uh, we don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he's not going to do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. He knows better. <laughs> yeah. So in another tunnel, we see that Goblin is this this moment we have alluded to many times already. We see that Goblin is being dragged by the green blob, likely to the synoptic chambers. But he does what he says no other superhero would ever consider doing or would be too prideful to do. He takes his pants off to escape. I love this so much. I love this so much. It's my it's favorite great. part in the episode. It's great. It's great. I mean, I guess I generally love whenever anyone takes their pants off, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think it's well done. But this I, this isn't even like an attractive taking pants off. This is like. No, not at all. This <laughs> not is, at all. I mean, there's, I guess there is like, there is a, um, there is something to be attracted to simply in like the confidence and bravado with which he d- like gives no fucks about doing it. Oh yeah. I'm very, atta- I'm very attracted to his personality. Yes. That's it though. <laughs> yes. That's the but only that's thing it, I'm attracted because to. Because <laughs> otherwise it is played purely, I mean, it moves the plot along, but it is also played purely for comedy. I mean, like yeah. he takes his pants off and then has goblin themed comical <laughs> boxer shorts on it's underneath. So funny. Look, we have criticized uh, how, how everyone in cartoons always wears these baggy-ass boxers under their tight-ass spandex. I'm okay with it in this scenario because it's so f- funny and absurd well, that he's wearing the j- biggest boxers in the world that are actually have decorations on them. Also, <laughs> great. I would 100% forgive the episode of the 90s series where Shocker takes his clothes off and has boxers on if Shocker mm-hmm. were also wearing boxers that had pictures of his face on it. I would have fucking loved that. Are you kidding me? Boxers aren't funny inherently. You need to yeah. make them funny. So like, yeah. like tidy whities are inherently funny in cartoons. Boxer shorts <laughs> are not. Do this. Yeah. This is Spider-Man Unlimited is doing something that so many other shows cannot get right, which is making boxer shorts fucking hilarious. Yeah. Cause they always I just do- love this. If they do anything with boxer shorts on cartoons most of the time, it's just, like, the classic heart pattern. And the only reason that there's any humor in it is because it's a throwback and, like, a cliche. Mm-hmm. But, like, by finding a creative thing to put on bo- – like, a creative print to put on boxers. Because in this case – It immediately like, becomes meta humor. Yeah, because he's got pumpkin bombs and, like, the razor bat things on his yeah. boxers, um, which are, like, two classic goblin weapons, immediately recognizable. It's, like, very on the nose, but it's also, like – it's not even the same as if he just had like his face on it or something. So yeah. it's like just on the nose enough without like going too overboard. Yeah. It's so good. And it's so like completely out of nowhere in this show, but still makes sense in the t- in context of what's going on because like the, the, the blob grabbed him and no one else is going to yeah. take the pants off yeah, it's to not get away pantsing. from it. <laughs> it's not like the joke isn't that his pants fell off. The joke is kind of that he doesn't care. Like <laughs> that he's yeah. just sort of like unabashedly walking around in his underpants. He knows how ridiculous <laughs> it is and doesn't give a shit. It's amazing. He spends the entire rest of the episode doing it. Yeah. And the fact that 
they hint so hard about this sad past and that like Neo that he probably is Naoko's ex-husband or ex-lover or Shane's father or all of the above or whatever. And so like there's some (laughs) sad relationship that he has with them where he like can't be with them. And so the context that he has to be around them in and be heroic around them in is like in his underwear. Like there is so something so like fundamentally like sad and hilarious about that. That's like so well done and like so daring to do. Too. It's perfect. I, I don't whoever I, I I don't know who I can attribute that to, but it's absolutely perfect. It's yeah. perfection. Man. So good. And it works. The blob does not notice. The blob is just like, I'm still holding on two legs. And so it just like <laughs> keeps going. Keeps going. <laughs> yep. 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 So great. Ah, well, he's able to hear Naoko shout and follows the sound. Um, and at that very moment, Spider-Man and Shane arrive in the synoptic chambers where Venom and Carnage are just are actually going through the process of attaching the yellow insect thing to her. It doesn't like immediately take her over. I guess she's kind of, I don't know how it has to attach itself to you. I guess they... it's got to like actually burrow itself into you. They take but, uh... forever to get it onto her. So I don't even know... I don't even remember if it ever makes contact or like. I thought that it was literally on her. Her like I don't uh, know. that that would make more sense because I feel like with other other things, whenever we've seen the spores and stuff go on them, it's like immediate. Yeah. And with her, I'm pretty sure it's actually on her chest, like yeah. on her shirt, but just isn't burrowing on her. Yeah, but it would make sense if they're just trying to fuck with her a little yeah. bit. I don't know. I think I'm being generous with that though, with that interpretation, though, because I think this is actually one of the moments that sort of indicates that there are pacing issues with the show. Yeah, I think so, too. They sort of, like, jumped the gun on getting this thing onto her and didn't quite, like, align the events correctly. Uh, so yeah. you end up cutting back and forth, I think, like, a couple times to them, like, either being very close to putting it on her or it being on her and... Enough that you're like, why isn't this working yet? Like, you yeah. question it. That's how much time they, they take. How powerful is she where she's able to, like, completely <laughs> repel this uh, space, space, the 65 million year old space insect? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's a yeah. little silly. And this is another moment where I noted, like, just how much this actor has just got to just grunt and scream in this episode. Oh, man. Because it takes so long to get an honor. She's just like, oh, yep. no, oh, no, like, for an absurdly long time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Before finally, finally, Spider-Man just, like, shoots it off of her with, like, the webbing tipped with a razor thing or whatever he's got now. Yeah, I don't really know what to call these other than they're, like, some sort of, like, little dart type thing. Yeah. Or, like, really, really tiny little, like, uh, I don't know what to call throwing knives, but that's kind of the shape they have. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> kind know. of. Yeah. They're cool, Ish. though. I like that it's like yeah. tech webbing, basically. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And he's done a couple other cool things with his webbing that are a bit akin to what uh, we get in, like, the PS4 game or some other sort of, like, more techy versions of Spider-Man. He doesn't use his web just one type of way, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I like that, too. Uh, this is just one other example of that, so... Yeah, yeah. After he shoots the bug off of Naoko, Carnage was the one holding her. So as soon as he shoots the bug off, Carnage immediately just like yeets her off screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like her, it's like her character model just flies off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. <laughs> 
Uh, well, I guess they do this so that they can confront Spider-Man, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I su- suppose it uh, doesn't make it less ridiculous, but uh, they do they do try to confront Spider-Man, but he pretty quickly unleashes that sonic blast thing that we see from his suit that we've mm-hmm. seen before. Here's the wrinkle, though. It has the intended effect on the symbiotes and kind of like stopping them, but not the sort of green blob, which we're now calling a biomass, by the way. It took about 15, 20 minutes for them to call it anything, but it is the biomass. Sure. (laughs) This is what I'm referring to, where like the IMDB description calls it that, but we had no idea what to call it until now. Yeah. Um, So it doesn't really have much of an effect on the biomass. It has like a mild effect, it seems like, because it's still able to move and get close to him. It just like doesn't lunge at him or anything. It seems to hold it off a little Problem is, it's not holding it off or damaging it enough to be helpful because Spider-Man knows that it he can't do the Sonic Blast forever. We've already established that these additions to his suit are temporary. They, they're they very short burst type things, whether he's mm-hmm. invisible or doing the Sonic Blast or what. Uh, he can only do it for a short period of time. So he ends up grabbing Naoko and Shane. He runs up these two columns, kind of like this twin set of columns that are, I guess, holding up the chamber because they go all the way up to the ceiling. And he crafts a web in between the two columns, puts Naoko and Shane up there, and is like, you stay here, I'm going to do my thing. Because mm-hmm. he knows that the sonic blast won't protect them. Yeah, and this is another case where it's like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to know from this. Like, is it a clue that the sonic blast isn't really working on the green mass and that's supposed to indicate that these aren't symbiotes in the same way that Venom and Carnage are? Or is it just like... It's so powerful because I can't really tell if it affected it or not, to be honest, because of the way that, again, it's kind of paced. The only reason I think it had any effect at all is because he is comfortable enough turning it off and then is surprised that it doesn't have the intended effect. But then you're right. It means that it's not affecting the biomass in the same way that it affects Venom and Carnage, which draws at least some distance between the symbiotes and the biomass as far as whether they're the same or not. Yeah. 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 Eh, Who knows? We'll see, or maybe we won't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to play as if we will know. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. (laughs) We, we, we would expect to, I guess. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So after Spidey kind of puts Snailco and Shane away uh, in his web net, he confronts the biomass, but is uh, immediately restrained. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, fail. I guess how do you fight a blob? Like, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what he would do yeah. otherwise. Props for trying. <laughs> yeah, he tried. Um, luckily, Goblin arrives to save the day because he's the best. Uh, he frees Spidey with a bunch of pumpkin bombs. Can I um, point out that he throws pumpkin bombs at the biomass, and instead of, like, blowing up the tentacles, they some- the explosions from the pumpkin bombs somehow slice the tentacles did you <laughs> yeah, catch that's that right. that's right they do it doesn't make any sense <laughs> like i don't understand how this is supposed to work but you're oh. goblin so it's cool yeah whatever whatever he has special s- slicey pumpkin <laughs> bombs yep. fine with me it's better than hobgoblins just like green gas bombs oh, that do man. literally nothing other than eject green gas yeah <laughs> we deserve this goblin this is the this goblin go- we deserve oh i love him i love him so much mm-hmm yeah, so Spidey instructs Goblin to free everyone. Uh, so Goblin does go and grab Naoko and Shane and flies away and pumpkin bombs what are essentially like the cages below on the way out, um, which then frees everybody who was like held captive and, and not actually possessed by the synoptic yet. I have a question. Yeah. I don't know if I just missed this or if this wasn't something that we saw specifically. Mm-hmm. We have seen that the Sonic Blast 
will free people who have been possessed by the alien things. Oh, right. Yeah. Did we? So we know that that's possible and can assume that that is what happened. Did mm-hmm. we see that happen in this episode? I don't remember if we did. I don't, but I do know, but I think it's probably implied because we yeah. do see the rhino guy again after all this is over freed from it. So like, yeah. I, I, I think, I think it happens just off screen. Yeah. It's, it's just like kind of weird based on what happens next. <laughs> Cause you're like, I kind of hope that everybody was fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good point actually. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad yeah, I guess when he... that we can assume that because otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Cause Spidey specifically told Goblin to free everyone. And I yeah. assume that meant everyone. So right. like, I imagine they waited to like explode everything and leave. And, but I, how much control do they have over like the chambers caving in? Sure. I don't know. So. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we won't see. We will never know, but yeah. we can just assume and hope. We know how much we know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Venom and Carnage climb up these columns uh, to confront Spider-Man, but Spidey wedges himself between the columns, pushes with all his might, and collapses them before the symbiotes can reach him. The columns and the ceiling collapse on the biomass below. We get this kind of cool, but I wish was cooler sequence where Spider-Man is jumping from piece of rubble to piece of rubble as they fall. Venom is chasing him on those falling pieces of rubble. It made me excited for a cool sequence that didn't deliver because Goblin, who is a hero and amazing, swoops in and just saves Spider-Man from the rubble, Mm -hmm. which is fine. It just, like, got me excited for something we didn't actually end up getting. Yeah, and can't brush over the truly amazing impeccably written line that Spidey has where he, he says history was never my best subject I prefer fizz ed that made me so mad <laughs> it's so bad and stupid and wrong do you want to know why it made me so mad similarly to the sequence I thought I was going to get I thought I was going to get a better joke which was so bad whatever history was never my subject but physics was That would have made sense for what was happening and for the character delivering the joke. Oh, my God. That's so true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For context, if you didn't watch it, they're like they say something like you're about to be history. And that's where the history thing like, you know, starts off. And then he kicks, as he says, phys ed is when he kicks the the columns down. So like phys ed makes sense. But physics would make sense, too. Uh So like physics would uh, make more sense. It's so bad. It's so frustrating, too, because we were we were praising the the references and and kind of jokes and stuff that he made in the first episode because they were all even if the jokes themselves weren't good, they were still kind of like nicely tied tied to kind of the same theme of historical and classical stuff mm-hmm. do not get it at all in this one and i don't think we get it in the next one either nope not so really. it's kind of a bummer that that wasn't a permanent thing that seems then that it must have just been the product of that particular writer and not the overall like tone of the show or vibe of the show yeah because instead <sighs> these are very bad quips they're very yeah, bad very yeah. bad don't like <laughs> <laughs> do not like <laughs> But yeah, so Spider-Man ends up getting out because Goblin flies in and saves him. Love it. And then uh, Venom and Carnage narrowly escape just by running into a tube. But they probably would have been fine anyway because they're just like slime creatures, I guess. I guess so. TBD, more information hopefully coming soon on that. (laughs) 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 Although Carnage is a slime monster with like spikes and claws and stuff. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, even when he's in slime form, he has, like, weird claws that float in his slime. It's gross. How is this weird? His, his design in this is so strange. I hate his design. I hate it. I'll say it. I think it's terrible. 
<laughs> I think it's a terrible design. I think it's so unattractive. It's, I mean, well, I mean. I know he's unattractive. Like, he's an unattractive character. He's supposed to be gross and, like, despicable and stuff. Yeah. But even in addition to that, like, he has a weird, like, a really, really fucking bizarre jawline. His neck is so tall. Mm-hmm. He has, it's the, it's a, a version, because I don't think it's the only version, but it's a version of Carnage that has, like, this weird, long, arched neck and has, like, incredibly, like, yeah. ha- like the shape of his body is the shape of bones, um, which could yeah. be cool, but isn't cool enough. I don't know. I I don't like it. I don't really, I guess I don't hate it as much as you do, because I do like the idea that they were going in more of a very alien direction. Like, they're clearly mm-hmm. trying to make him look more like an alien. And if this was just, like, an alien monster in a show, I would have no issues with it, because it would just oh, be a I creepy looking alien like monster. It. Really? Okay. I don't like the design separate from the fact that it's Carnage. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I just, I, ugh. I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Venom's design either, but it, it makes sense for him. Cause they're just like going, they just are going very hard on the bodybuilder type thing. And then yeah. just adding some claws to it. Like it's a little more of a simpler transition carnage. It's just like in such a wildly different direction. Like he doesn't even feel, he's not even very like him, the way that he's used in the show. He's just not really carnage at all. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in like, I love carnage so much. Like I don't think carnage is that deep of a character to begin with, right. but like he's nothing like any version of carnage at all. And it's like, he's just kind of a generic symbiote guy. Like at least venom kind of has like New Yorker speech patterns sometimes in kind of a fun way. Carnage just, just is just like very, generic alien for some reason yeah yeah i guess if i just think of him as like a weird alien creature it's better but i still it's yeah better, i still don't but it's weird but it, it's just i don't know there's something about it I, i'll have to stare at it longer and try to figure out what exactly it is i don't like about it but i don't i don't like it yeah i don't know but they do they they get away they manage to get out yeah i love spider like spider-man like wrapped in goblin's arms i think i kind of ship that <laughs> I don't know if I ship it just because I don't know if I like this Peter enough to ship them. Uh, I mean, this Peter is just a very generic Peter, like, so far. Like, I haven't really – he doesn't really have a lot of, like, defining characteristics, it feels like, at least at this stage in the show, other than just, like, I'm Peter Parker in Spider-Man. But, yeah, but, um, I feel like Goblin deserves better than that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And <laughs> technically, Peter Parker is supposed to still have Mary Jane in his life. Uh, maybe he broke up with her off screen knowing he'd be gone for a while. <laughs> Because he definitely has flirted with people and will continue to kind of flirt with characters yeah. <laughs> after this, too, from what we've mm-hmm. seen. So, like, a little weird. So, eh, yeah, Goblin does deserve better. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, you know. But still, I think that they would they would be cute to, to date for a little bit, even if they're not endgame. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, where were we? <laughs> Above ground. Yay. Yeah, so above ground, uh, Naoko and Shane thank Goblin for saving them. They note that Spider-Man himself has yeeted away and uh, is nowhere to be found. So uh, Naoko, uh, and as they say, this Goblin, like, grabs a piece of, like, cloth rags to, like, wrap around his, like, boxer shorted legs. <laughs> which is just, skirt. like, <laughs> made himself a little skirt. It's cute. Naoko asks Goblin to pass her thanks along to Spider-Man and adds that Spider-Man should, uh, well, cause, cause they, Shane did tell her that, uh, that, that, that Peter and Spider-Man knew each other. So she's like, mm, 
why don't you tell Spider-Man to tell Peter to pay his rent? Which means basically she's like the Mr. Ditkovich of, of mm-hmm. this show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I like it, though. It's funny. As the two leave Goblin, he has very sad eyes and calls Naoko, my love. Yeah, I think she says, hopefully we see each other soon. And that yeah. makes him have a sad. Yeah, so clearly it's, it's very clear uh, what's, uh, what's going on. Well, I don't think it's very clear. Not very clear. Yeah, I think it is clear enough to know that whoever this goblin is, he is in love with or was at some point in love with Naoko. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean. I don't think it's clear what that relationship means further. Yeah, we don't know that if he is this missing dad necessarily or if he's someone else because it could just be kind of like I think that that's meant to be something that you're supposed to think but it could very easily be a red herring. Yeah, my current my current position is that he is not Shane's dad, but I do think that uh I want to believe that there was a mutual relationship because I would hate to find out that Goblin is just like a stalker or something. Yeah, it could be like a Severus Snape situation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. always in love with you from afar, and that apparently means something uh, very important. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not that. But in any case, I don't think he's Shane's dad. But that's just, that's pure conjecture. I have no reason to, I, I can't, I can't, you know, put anything definitively on the board. Uh, yeah, well, column. yeah. And if, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone watching along, but I know that there's things in the next episode that make me question, like, his identity. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has some, he definitely is in love with Naoko and knows who Shane is. That's the most information we have. But this is both the most clearest little tidbit that we get of of, of that sort of but relationship. he's very familiar with Naoko. Yes, yes. I, I want to point out one thing in sort of like the like very quick like kind of in between like transition scene because um, mm-hmm. we get a pan over of like yeah. the rubble and everything and all of the people that were that were underground uh, kind of like be intended to um, and there's a few things that I noted that I I really love in general because it's both for comedy and also like because it's kind of important comedically there is one of the machine man robots that are there that's interviewing the rhino guy and he's it's a machine man it is literally a robot but he is (laughs) taking notes with like a pen Uh and paper (laughs) yep yep it's It's beautiful very very funny i love that like the machine man doesn't have enough memory (laughs) to just record <laughs> the rhino's voice. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but the thing that I found very interesting and that I really do think is intentional based on everything that we've seen so far is that we see the hum- they're all it's a collection of humans and bestials being yeah. tended and they're all tended by each other. We see an ambulance pull up, pull up that has like paramedics that are bestials and humans coming out of the same ambulance. Mm-hmm. Um, we see like doc- human doctors and bestial doctors tending to humans and bestials. They aren't like hating on each other. They're helping each other, yeah. which I think really does very heavily lend to the idea that like the only people who are actually racist to each other's really are like the actual like Knights of Wondergore and the people that are working directly with the high evolutionary. The actual bestial people like don't seem to really care or even be yeah. aware of the humans for the most part. Yeah, I, I I very much could buy the fact that this is a conflict that is spotlighted based on the high tension and the potential destruction caused by it, but that the actual parties involved, which would be the Knights of Wondergore and the Highest Society and the revolutionaries, are like yeah. the only ones actually involved. <laughs> yeah, like they're the ones that are kind of perpetuating 
the conflict as a conflict. Everybody else kind of caught him. And then, and then I guess they're like the gangs that are, that are fighting that everybody has to live with because they're in the same neighborhood that you can't really do anything about because they're dangerous combatants, you know, yeah. but yeah. like not everybody like has any investment in that other than, you know, they are living in a dangerous situation. Yeah. Like they're just trying to try to try to survive. And, 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 and you know, the difference in, in this situation, obviously, is that like the high evolutionary people are the people that kind of made the world this way and rule the yeah. world. So there is like a power balance thing. there. If we are to believe the narrative we've gotten so far, if we are, but, but I mean, regardless, they are the ones currently in power yeah. and kind of controlling the narrative in a lot of ways. Yeah. Honestly, I'm playing, I'm, I'm in the middle of playing the final fantasy seven remake right now, which I think really hammers in a lot of themes that the original game didn't have enough of a capacity to do just, just based on the limitations they're under because it really spends a lot of time highlighting the kind of like repercussions and and devastation to like just regular people who are kind of oblivious and or powerless in, in the situation because it's very much like a story of like, of uh, like kind of revolutionaries trying to take down like the mega corporation that rules everything. Mm -hmm. But you really see a lot of like the, the way it affects like normal human life and like even the people that are working for the evil corporation that's in power, like are just kind of regular people who, while you could argue that they're complicit in the evil that they're doing because they are working for them. They just kind of seem to be like ignorant and oblivious to it, not yeah. actively doing it to be evil. And I think there is a weird like kind of moral ambiguity there that I, I like that this shows, even if it's not explicitly tackling it, it does seem to be really going in that direction that like the, the bestial people are probably benefiting from uh, from <laughs> from like living higher up and living sure. in higher society. But I don't think they really recognize what's actually going on. And I think yeah. that if maybe they're exposed to more and more of this, they might be willing to kind of help the humans as well but we'll see who knows yeah yep let's see we don't have a whole lot left the episode is almost over it ends with a <laughs> cool sequence of photographs of spider-man web slinging <laughs> yeah. it's like not even clear why it's happening immediately but it ultimately results in peter uh selling these photos to mr Mignot of the daily bite mm-hmm. uh, they haggle over the cost of those photos but ultimately peter does end up with enough money to pay naoko rent naoko ends up apologizing to peter for doubting his ability to pay rent not sure why you're apologizing uh, i hate that she apologizes she was so 100 percent in the right the entire time uh-huh yeah he <laughs> yeah yep yep we already talked about it but yep <laughs> And thanks him for sending Spider-Man to save her. Mm-hmm. And the episode ends. It's a weird. It's uh, we were kind of we were like because it's I go back and forth on on this ending sequence because it is because sort of like it essentially is a last act because there's literally a commercial break when Spider-Man is trying to take pictures of himself, which like the main plot of the episode and story of the episode is over. Like this is just like kind of a little tag on the end of it that just happens to last a long time. And it feels, I don't like that there's a weird commercial break. Like I know that they're required to put them in, but it's strange to me that they couldn't put it in sooner because there's like two and a half minutes of the episode left at this point when he just like randomly drops his camera and that's the cliffhanger is like, my camera's going to fall. Well, I caught it with my webbing because I'm Spider-Man. Obviously, that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a weird choice. Yeah. It's, I like that they do these little like 
things at the end that introduce you to a new element, but that was a very weird choice. Yeah, I don't, I do not like putting the commercial break there. And I know that, you know, it's, it's probably hard when you're writing the script to figure out where to put it, where it feels like you're kind of spending even enough time and yeah. in, in every area and like where you're putting it as a natural cliffhanger. But I have to believe there was a better cliffhanger like during <laughs> the main fight where it, <laughs> where they could have put it rather than like right. here. I yep. don't know. It's uh, it's it's very strange and kind of it like it, it really took me out of like the very end of it because it's just like, where are we at right now? Did I start the next episode by <laughs> Yeah, by it, accident? Was, it was confusing. <laughs> and that, that feeling definitely happens a lot when you're watching this on a service like Disney Plus that doesn't have commercials or but still has to have the breaks, obviously. Mm-hmm. You're like, did I skip ahead when I like did yeah. I skip ahead when I wasn't paying attention? It's just like, like the episode's <laughs> over. Like, why, why is this happening yeah. right now? How much longer is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, maybe it wasn't as jarring with like actual commercials like still weird certainly for the break to be where it is but yeah maybe not quite as jarring when it's just sort of like a weird break and then you immediately jump back to the next thing yeah yeah maybe but, who knows yeah a <laughs> couple fun faces for this episode yeah it's here's the thing i'm obsessed with this green goblin design it's so, good. so every face that he makes is amazing it's great it's impossible to pick one but we have one and it is when Spider-Man jumps up and is like, ha I was not gassed. I fooled you. And Webb's goblin. And I love this particular face because the goblin kind of has a perpetual smile, yeah. uh, which is delightful. But it makes the moments when he's not smiling even more delightful. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, you made a different face. And this is one <laughs> where he's sort of like just utterly baffled and confused by what just happened. Yeah. As we were, because uh, it was totally unnecessary. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yep. So yeah, pretty pretty strange. Uh, yep. And then the other one is <laughs> this. I don't know why this is so funny to it's me. Very I don't amusing. know why it is, but it's very amusing. You mentioned that the lair, the chambers, had just like holes all over the place. Like it was just like a big dome with a bunch of holes in the wall. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the holes in the wall do serve kind of like a beehive, and that's where the little insect things grow. And at one point, Venom goes to grab one of the insects from the hole, and you get a camera angle from inside the hole. So you see, like, Venom walk up to the hole, and there's just, like, a little little creepy alien insect in there. And uh, it kind of looks, like, for a moment, like uh, Venom with his also perpetual smile just coming by to, like, <laughs> pet his little, his, little, his little alien. So, you know, like, some people... Keep hamsters and gerbils, but Venom keeps weird alien chest hugger <laughs> insects. It's so cute. He's like so yeah. happy. He looks so and he happy. He takes good care of them. Yeah, he's so happy. He loves them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, what did you what did you think overall of this one? Um, I don't know. I didn't like it as much as the the, the pilot, obviously, but um. I'm intrigued by everything. I, I, if, if it didn't have the goblin in it, I don't think I'd really like it very much. He definitely yeah. made the episode. He's, I like him as a character, and that, that's kind of enough for me. I really, I really like this version of Goblin. I believe that we see more of him, but if, uh, uh, but not trusting my memory on this show, I hope that we do uh, see a lot more of him. Right. He's, uh, he's just so fun. And he's just such a cool idea for a character. It's one of those things that you know they could only do in the, in this type of show where they're on kind of a parallel earth sort of situation and 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 they can they can create these like alternate characters with alternate histories but given the kind of weird vibe and aesthetic of this show it's not just going to be like a straight it's a good green goblin like they're going to have right. a take on it and i really like their take mhm yeah i i really appreciate their insistence on having that 
very specific, unique take on things, mm-hmm. or at least some things. I mean, they don't have as strong takes on certain things, but I imagine they probably didn't have room. Like Venom is not a strong, unique take, but yeah. I imagine they couldn't take too many liberties with that. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I, I this episode has a lot of things I enjoy. It is not a full product that I enjoy nearly as much as I did the two-part premiere. I think the two-part premiere was very well done as a whole. This was not well done as a whole, but has some really, really fun, interesting, thought-provoking elements to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I guess I guess my conclusion is that like all the interesting parts sort of outweigh the the uh, not perfectly or really all that well put together episode because there's so many of them. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know that the show can rest on that. So I hope there aren't too many episodes like this one. Yep. 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 Well, if you would like to hear us talk about other episodes of other things, including episodes of comics, hmm, uh, I guess you can call them episodes, episodes. of comics. Sure. Uh, why not? Yeah. Issues know. of comics. <laughs> Volumes mean, of comics. What is an episode? What What is an episode but a portion of life that is happening? An episode of my life, an episode of a comic. Perfect. If you'd like us to hear us talk about stuff. Stuff. Uh, we have lots of extra bonus stuff, stuff on our Patreon, which you probably heard in our little mid-roll ad earlier in the show but again go there patreon.com slash walloping web snappers for lots of really fun goodies and extra stuff stuff in the meantime where can we find you doug you can find me on twitter at icky bully i-c-k-y-b-o-o-l-e-y <laughs> tweeting about turnips like everybody else for the past two months there's uh, so much also... fruit and vegetables on my timeline and I don't. It's uh everybody oh, you know, yeah. it's uh it's a lot happening. All about those veggies, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find me on Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast here on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just sorta as we feel like it. Derek, where can people find you and the things you're working on? Yeah, you can find me also on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. And I'm also on YouTube. I have a video essay series called Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens or trying to just figure out how people who like it might like it. Kind of like how we like Spider-Man Unlimited and a lot of people don't. And we're talking about why we like it. So stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's all connected. If you would like to follow our show, Walloping Web Snappers, on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All of it is under at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. You can email us your thoughts on Spider-Man Unlimited. Maybe stay away from, like, spoilers if we got a lot of stuff wrong or predicting stuff because we don't remember the show. Uh, But anything else uh, related to what we talk about, we would welcome to hear your thoughts on it. We would also love it if you would please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts to help people find us. I am sure we're the only people talking this in-depth about Spider-Man Unlimited in the entire world of podcasts. So if you like what we're doing, please rate and review us so other people can find us too. Next week, we finally get into the backstory of that cool like bandage revolutionary dude from like the second episode that we didn't know anything about. We're going to learn about that person finally in Deadly Choices. Yeah. See you there. Later.